Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. I'm Sam Lebowitz, joined as always by the lovely Jack Hendon. We will be joined by a special guest and a new friend of the podcast in just a moment. That will be one of the broadcasters with the Syracuse Mets, Will Scott. Uh, he'll join us in just a few, but before we do that, as always, when it comes to when we have guests on, we're going to do some housekeeping first. Before we do, Jack, you and I are both preparing for classes to start. How uh, how has been uh, has it been getting back to college? Um, it was kind of jarring, like unpacking my room again, because this is like the fifth room I've now been in. I'm a you know I'm, for those who don't know, I'm a senior. I took uh, the fall semester off last year. Um, so I'm, you know, I moved into an apartment in January of 2021, finished a semester there, packed it all up and went home, came right back, did it all again. It's, it's, uh, it's weird. I'm excited though, for this last semester, um, have a lot of like cool stuff signed up, you know, set up, I guess, but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. Cause the Mets won not one game, but two games in a row, two winning streak, two oh. games. They did it first time since August 12th that they have complete that they have pulled that off two straight wins. That was also against Washington. They won five. It was out of, also against that team. Won five out of their last six against these crappy Nationals. They're four games under 500 on the season, 63 and 67. Uh, Braves shut out the Giants today, so the Mets don't gain any ground in the division. Um, so basically, even despite taking two of three, they are still exactly where they were divisional wise. Uh, at the start of the weekend, seven and a half out of first place. Uh, last night, Saturday night, fun game. After dropping the first game of the series two to one, the Mets went and had a come from behind win, punctuated by a very, very clutch extra base hit. Who would have thought that this team was capable of doing that? A pinch hit, three run home run by Mike Conforto, who kind of desperately needed it. It was just his ninth home run of the season in RBIs 31, two, and 33. Uh, and the Mets won that game five to three, really clean, uh, whole, wholesome team victory, uh, yeah. a good one to head into a rubber match with, uh, in which they wound up winning the rubber match, uh, nine to four against this nationals team. They beat up on Eric Fetty a little bit, Javier Baez hit a two run home run well into the second deck. It was, uh, electric as hell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now four of his 13 hits in a Mets uniform have left the ballpark. Uh, Jonathan Yart finished a double away from the cycle. He had triple a home run in a single going three for five, went five for 10 in the series. So uh, he, he punched his OPS up to 774 and reclaimed the second place spot on the team homers with 15. Kevin Pillar hit two uh, last night. So uh, actually some offense in this, this series against the Nats and, and scoring nine runs today against a, Really bad team. Always a good sign, and hopefully a sign of things to come over this last month. Well, I think that it it kind of gives some sort of credence to this idea that you know they've just been in these games and they you know they've needed something to pull them over because that's what we've heard. It's the thing that's been beaten over our heads for the last three weeks against these good teams, these far superior teams. Is that well, we're we're very close. We're almost winning, and it's like this idea that really all you need is just one guy to do more of a job than he's already been doing. And we saw that on Saturday because they really were close in that game with Washington. And like disclaimer, they shouldn't be close in games of Washington. If they take this seriously, if they want to win it all, you should be stomping them 
pretty regularly. It should never be close. But Conforto comes through with the three-run homer, and that's just like, that's exactly what we were looking for. It's what we wanted all along, right? He hits this ball in the opposite field. I think it was first pitch. I mean, he just stepped in, and it was? Vintage Conforto, yeah. It was first pitch hitting, and he went to left center with it. It was just, it was just so and that's that is all that they needed. I think that's why Saturday's win was so gratifying was because really all it came down to was one guy doing a job that he otherwise hadn't been doing. And then Sunday, we actually got like a little bit of that too. I mean, obviously it's a five run, you know, victory. It's not like the game was particularly close, but there were a lot of points where Juan Soto was basically single-handedly like breaking down latches in our door with the lead we had it was four to three at one point and dom smith came through with a pinch hit rbi and then it was seven to two at one point jerry's familia gave up some runs and that made it seven to four edwin diaz is getting loose in the bullpen you don't want that for the ninth inning because that would have been three straight days of work so what do you do you need runs and francisco lindor finally breaking the ice that he had you know kind of been been treading uh, throughout that series, he comes through with a bases loaded double that scores two. like, these are little things that I think really do go a long way. It's something you should be building on. It's something to be excited about. Um, and they've also been, I think, changing their approach up like a little bit. It's again, like, I'm really trying to take this, you know, with a grain of salt, because this is not the Giants, and it's not the Dodgers. Uh, and it's certainly not the Yankees who we're going to see at some point when this marathon is over but they're changing the lineup a little bit and it seems to be working. Like suddenly Jonathan VR out of the leadoff spot is like, you know, the advent of, of the century. It's this huge, you know, who would have thought that taking Brandon Nimmo out of the leadoff spot would have led to more runs. And that's not to say Nimmo hasn't done his job. Nimmo's done a great job, but like they've been sitting McNeil, they've been sitting Dom, they've been sitting JD. The three of them each got one start during this series. Um, you know, you have, I mean, you have to change it up. It's just, that's what the times call for here. It's pretty desperate. It's very sad that the way you get that done is by putting Kevin Pilar in the lineup. It's not how he drew it up, but I mean, you kind of have to take it if you want this to keep going. Right. I mean, they have 11 more games between them and the Marlins before the Yankees come to town. And that's sort of like, you know, this is really your last chance to, to build up steam and, get at least within four games of the division by that point. I mean, you can't be seven and a half back anymore. Yeah. And, and there's clearly some, like the switch that had been in the off position all year as at least for today was uh, flipped back in the on position. They clearly are trying something different. Like you mentioned the lineup shakeup with VR and Nemo and the one, two holes. Uh, and then, you know, Lindor and, and Alonzo in the middle of the lineup and Javi batting sixth today behind Porto. Uh, they're, they're just they're trying to shake it up and trying to make something different uh, and see if, it, you know, they can catch lightning in a bottle. And it, it worked the last two days um, in terms of what else they're doing. They're trying to steal bags. They're trying to steal bases. They stole four bags in this series yeah. uh, across the, the last two nights. Lindor had two and, and Pilar and Nimmo each stole a bag today. So, you know, like that's stuff that they hadn't been doing all year. They were sec uh, third to last in the National League in steals coming into this, this series. And then they stole four bags in the series against uh, the Nationals catching contingent. Um, and it's working. It seems like maybe it, it's working a little bit, which is, is good. But I do get the feeling it's probably a little too little too late after they got swept at home by the Giants. 
I'm yeah. like, I said last week, I was like, just don't get swept. Just don't get swept by the Giants at home. And sure enough, they did get swept by the Giants at home. Yeah, well, that did happen too. I've conveniently blocked that out of my mind, but that was probably the bigger note uh, yeah, let's heading go. into the series. Good vibes rolling. We have a fun guest today, but yeah, uh, that also happened. 11 more ge- uh, games against bad teams uh, before they have to kind of mentally prepare for good baseball teams again. They, they got to win as many as, as of these as possible. They really, like, I mean, really got to win a bunch of these, these baseball games if they want any chance. They also need, you know, the Braves to start losing, which doesn't appear to be happening anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, but like we said uh, last week, um, if they're going to make a brown, this is the stretch that they're going to make a brown in. Um, and unfortunately, you know, winning two of three and not gaining any ground is a little frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that was already frustrating. I mean, we got basically, we've been writing the script up, preparing for our guest, and we just, a bomb had been dropped on our desk at like, you know, about 10 minutes after the game ended because Javi Baez just kind of declared war on the fan. And so now, like, I mean, you thought we were pissed off now as a, as a, as a monolith of people, but like now it's like, all right. Like, if you guys don't go far this year, if you don't make the playoffs, if you don't even finish 500, like, who cares? I think that's sort of a mentality that is now set in on the heels of those comments. And I'll read them because they were they they weren't great. Um, he said on the I mean, I guess I should give context first um, between Javi, between Pilar, between Lindor and evidently when you know, when you have three people doing it, it's a team wide thing. Um they have started to motion, give a thumbs down motion, two thumbs down from whatever base they end up on after they double or they steal it or whatever, or if they get to third, they do it. I think VR did it as well. Like, and you know, it's a curious, it's a curious little rally cry. And someone asked Javi about it. And uh, he basically said that it's there quote to let the fans know when we don't get success, we're going to get booed. So they're going to get booed when we have success. Uh, he doubled down. He said, we're not machines. We're going to struggle. It just feels bad when I strike out and I get booed. We're going to do the same thing to let them know how it feels. Yikes. Uh, 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 I, I don't like it, man. It feels so needlessly aggressive to the fans. Uh, passive aggressive, more so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, and it's also like, I mean, listen, to see fans who have been booing and who have been especially like needlessly brutal, because I think there is something to be said about the difference between booing when like they strand a bunch of guys on to end an inning and just like booing Lindor after he pops out or booing Baez after he strikes out or booing Conforto after he strikes out. It's like, I think booing individual players is a lot more gratuitous. I would never think to do it. It's just like, like it, it achieves nothing. Um, and I can understand why that gets under people's skin, but I think a lot of people have been negative for, I think, pretty valid reasons. And I don't really know how I feel about like everybody getting lumped into that. Like you want to go after like Joe from new Canaan, who's, who's screaming about how Lindor is overpaid. I think that's hilarious. I think that's great. Like I like that. That's not really like a fan to me. That's just somebody who is, you know, really, uh, who has a complex, but that's not this fan base. I mean, we've been watching these games. We've been trying despite the team playing badly 
I mean, Badley's probably an understatement here. Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I just, I, I wouldn't have done it. It, it feels like a big F you to the fans. Like they might as well give us the, you know, the middle finger. And it's also, there's the other aspect of it. It just doesn't, it feels weird coming from who it came from. Bobby Baez has been here for less than a month. Yeah. Yeah. It feels very weird coming from him. If, uh, you know, someone who had been here a little longer said it, I don't know if the fan reaction might have been this uh, extreme, but, you know, it, like you've been here for like a second, man. Yeah. And you haven't done anything to help. Like we've lost like 12 games in the standing since you got here. So you got to kind of understand where the fans are coming from. It's from a place of frustration. And it's also, it's a media market that you're not familiar with. This is how New York fandom works. You're going to get booed if you do not perform up to expectations. And this team had high expectations. They were a first place baseball team a month ago. Now they're a yeah. third place team. And they're not even close to a position in which they can make a playoff spot. Yeah, they had a worse record than the Detroit Tigers after Friday night. Yeah, so you'll have to excuse me if we're a little frustrated. Yeah. I, I am also anti-booing. I don't understand what booing accomplishes in terms of, like, getting players to perform better. Like, yeah, we all wanted Francisco Lindor to play better. But booing him isn't going to tell him anything he doesn't already know. Like, he knew May that he stank. So why he said it, he has basically owned it. He told people while Alonzo was giving his quotes, Lindor was also out there saying like, you guys, you know, can give me all the hell you want because I know I haven't done my job. Like I think players, I think it's just, it's, it's the players know that they suck. They know that they suck right now and they're, they are trying. And I also think that, I mean, this really sounds like, you know, me, vouching for what Javi did and I don't want it to sound like that at all but if I think it should start a dialogue and it should force people to think about like what it means uh when a team does badly because ultimately what you have is you have a lot of different players all not doing their jobs that's something that always runs deeper than just the players not doing their jobs it means they're not being set up for success it means that the front office isn't giving them votes of confidence that they should be by acquiring the right people um it ultimately is it's so much more of a problem than just what you are seeing in front of you on the field and I think that for some people a lot of this has been good because it means they get to reflect on how you know what you do differently going forward um I don't necessarily know what that is but it's not restricted to what the players do I mean there are a lot of things about the deadline that pissed me off. There are a lot of things about injury management this year that have pissed me off, but um, it's much easier. I understand there's more cathartic release to taking it out on the person who's literally getting outs, but it, I, I just, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't get booing players. And I, I also don't get uh, Javi being the one that stands up to it, but whatever. Uh, on, the, on, the, on the flip side, kind of, I almost respect Javi for like coming out and saying like this could have been a thing that the Mets just did as a team and they could have made up some lie about what the real reason behind it is. Mm-hmm. Fans would have never known. And that would have been just easier for the team and, and no one would have gotten the heat that they're getting right now. But Javi came out and said it. So, it, you know, it takes, 
it takes some guts to be able to do that because you know you're going to get backlash. Uh, and that, I, I think, a little bit, I still don't agree with the comments. This is not me saying, you know, what he said was okay at all. Um, but credit to him for being honest with the fan base, yeah. uh, at least a little bit. I still really dislike the idea behind the celebration. Yeah. Um, it, it really does feel like a big screw you to the players or to the fans rather. I mean, the fans are going and spending their money to watch them play. They're spending their hard earned cash. They're spending their time that, you know, most people don't have a whole lot of free time to be able to go to a lot of Mets games. And, um, you know, they're, they're supporting this, you know, the team and, and being, yeah fans and it, and it feels like a big kind of screw you from uh a bunch of players that we've spent so much of our time supporting and you know not all of us have done the whole booing thing that you know like you and i have been saying that we don't agree with the whole idea of booing players uh so not every fan boos players um, yeah so you know, it feels like, first of all, it feels like you're grouping us in with a bunch of fans who do the wrong thing. And it also, again, it just feels like, you know, they're flipping us the middle finger when they do that thumbs down thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, the nice thing about it, I guess, uh, is that ultimately when you go to war with fans, and this is not the first time a player's done this with Mets fans, like there was a point in Carlos Beltran's career as a Met where he would refuse curtain calls because he wouldn't want, you know, because fans have been nasty to him. Um, that first year they signed with them like Delgado did this too uh, in the middle of one of his seasons when he was underperforming and at this point he was like 37 so he was really at his wits end Um, you know fans have the leverage and when you go and make a statement about the fans treating you badly even if you're right uh, fans can easily withdraw the the money that they that they spend on tickets they can just not come to the games Um, they can take that comment in stride um they can take that how they want to they can decide that it's not a worthwhile investment anymore and ultimately with the way this team is playing that's something that's very very possible like if you if you don't make the playoffs now i mean i said this earlier i said this like five minutes ago but if you don't go anywhere off of a statement like that if you remain in the in the cellar um all anyone's going to remember about you as a player um, as a leader or whatever Javi Baez was here to be is the guy who went after the fans and, and lost. Ultimately, if you go after the fans and you continue losing, uh, you don't stick around very long. So especially if Javi doesn't have like a long-term legacy here, if he doesn't resign here, which is going to be a conversation you and I will have on future episodes more and more as we get to the off season. Uh, if this is kind of a, you know, a, a half season and done for Avi in a Mets uniform, like if they don't make the playoffs and he doesn't really go scorching hot the rest of the year, this is his legacy. As, That's his as legacy. it stands, it's not going well. That's the thing. Like as it currently stands, this project isn't working out. Um, I think one point about Javi that's important is he came from Chicago. Um, he came from a place where, you know, Friday games or day games, so that all the fans can come out and watch them after they get off of work. I think there's a relationship that Cubs fans have with players that is very different from what New York sports fans have with their players. So I get why this is jarring to him. 
Yeah. But Midwest versus Northeast kind of sentimentalities is sure. in terms of fandom. Yeah. But also, you know, if you don't pull your weight, you're not going to, you know, if, if you don't swim, you're going to sink. That's essentially what's happening right now. I mean, this, if this team doesn't go very far, it's an indictment of the decision to bring bias in and energize this team because it will have failed. That's not a reason to pick all the pieces up and decide you're going to move on from him and look someplace else. But I also think that it surely makes it harder to justify giving him a contract that you could otherwise give to a better player like Carlos Correa or Trevor Story or Corey Seager. Like, I don't know. I think that this is an unfortunate tipping point because uh, I think another thing about it too is fans have probably felt disrespected most of the season before this because of how the team is playing um, and how, and the decisions that the front office has made. Um, I think Steve Cohen tweeting is something that has also to some people been a little bit of like a, you know, just to just kind of like, I don't want to say it's tasteless, but it's something that probably rubs some people the wrong way. Cause it's not like an efficient use of time or whatever, but um, people have felt like this team hasn't given to them in a while. And um, that's also probably part of why this is boiling over the way it is, but it makes you think. Yeah, I agree. It's absolutely boiling over. You know, you would have thought that we would have been hitting a tipping point, you know, at least within the past few weeks, a couple of times, but you know, this, this just might be it. And it's unfortunate. It's coming after a couple of nice wins, you know, that's no, no one wants to have a, you know, such a downer vibe uh, after you win a series, but um, this is kind of the way the conversation is right now. And, and probably the way the conversation is going to continue to be until uh, something gives with the, uh, with the celebration, if they keep doing it and they back it up, then whatever. I don't really care. But I don't know. I would, I wouldn't be surprised if someone tells them to not do that anymore. Like, I'm not sure how far that really goes, but like you've now pretty much put the target on your back every time you do that. And if you, I mean, if you do it, you know, I guess it means that you're winning, right. Cause you're, you will have been succeeding, but um, if you're doing that in a game and then you like go on to lose that game, people are going to point out, you know, that it's not working, that the, you know, that the act isn't, you know, paying dividends. I just, it, it's, it's kind of a no-win situation. And even though I, because I'm really conflicted, because I really also think that fans who have been like, you know, stomping on Pete Alonzo for trying to be positive deserve every solitary inch of this. Like they really deserve to be disrespected because ultimately like, you're just taking it out on someone who's trying to level with you. But I also know that like this it, never ends well. It's all connected. And it, I don't see this ending well. I just hope that there, we can come to a kind of amicable conclusion between as a fan base with the team and we'll see how it goes. Um, but, you know, we, the rest of this episode, we're going to, we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk uh, minor league Mets with um, a very interesting guest. I think someone who I know very, very well. Uh, and we'll bring him on in just a minute. His name is Will Scott. And uh, he just graduated from Syracuse University, where I go to school, uh, last spring in May. Uh, so he is only, uh, you know, he's around our age. Um, and he is one of the most hardworking and talented broadcasters that I know. And I know quite a few broadcasters going to school where I go. Uh, he caught on with a job with the Syracuse Mets, got the chance to stay in Syracuse. Um, and started working for the S-Mets right after graduation. 
has worked his way into the broadcast booth as the number two guy to their primary broadcaster, Michael Tricarico, uh, and has been doing an excellent job both on play-by-play and manning some social media responsibilities for them. And we'll talk Syracuse Mets with him. Uh, everything, in, you know, from top performers of the team to, you know, indoctrinating himself into Mets fandom and, and everything in between. He's a Houston, Texas native, grew up an Astros fan, but, you know, he's, he's been enjoying being with the Mets organization. So let's bring on Will Scott. We'll be right back after the break with uh, our guest. And here is Will Scott, one of the voices of the Syracuse Mets and one of my closest friends. Will is currently uh, joining us from the broadcast booth at NBT Bank Stadium. Uh, he was in the middle of a call today, and he's currently in a rain delay in the eighth inning of a 3-3 tie against Rochester. Will, um, you and I are both in Syracuse right now. It is absolutely downpouring and thunder and lightning and, and raining cats and dogs right now. But uh, tell us a little bit about, about your day so far. It's like I, you're telling us a little before. Yeah, you know, woke up pretty excited to the uh, the golden fork on the line between um, the Syracuse Salt Potatoes, Syracuse Mets becoming the Syracuse Salt Potatoes last two days, and then the Rochester Red Wings are now the Rochester Plates, and so you have the duel of the dishes going on. It's the best two out of three series. Um, they played a game in Rochester yeah. earlier this month, and then they played a um, they played a game. Uh, last night here in Syracuse, and then that forced a decisive game three. Um, and so the the okay, they just called the game. <laughs> they just called the game. Uh, so there's uh, there's there's no game. Uh, so I don't know how they're going to work this out for the Golden Fork. Um, that's a live reaction, yeah, folks. That that's uh, yeah, li- live reaction. I know. So I I made a proposal earlier that since we outscored them um, in terms of the run differential that we should keep the golden fork. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, that that's been my day so far. Pretty wild day. Yeah. I, I can imagine my friend, uh, you don't get stuff like that in major league baseball. That's minor league yeah. baseball is the best. And, uh, and you've been working with the Syracuse Mets since end of May thereabouts, since you graduated here from Syracuse, Will and I went to school with each other. We, we were colleagues together at the TV station. So um, he, he graduated and immediately got a job in AAA. And that was like us as friends. We were all so, so thrilled for you because it was a surprise. And you told us all together. That moment was electric. Um, having you in like the Mets family is, is awesome. But you've been in minor league ball now for a summer. And minor league ball and, and major league ball are very, very different because this is such so much more community oriented and, and small town feel. Uh, what's your experience been like getting to watch minor league baseball every day? It's it's been it's been such a thrill. Um, you know, mentioned you know you mentioned kind of the unexpected um, you know job offer that I got. You know, that came about a week before graduation, and you know, going straight from college triple a it was you know is is um is such a blessing i feel so blessed so fortunate to have this opportunity this is actually my first year in minor league baseball i was in uh, summer collegiate ball um last year i worked for the sugarland skeeters three years ago as a broadcaster for them now the triple a affiliate the astros but a couple years ago they were 
um, they were not affiliated. They were independent ball when I worked for them. So it's been, it's been really cool, you know, getting to be here and getting to be a part of the Mets organization. You know, I, I've quickly found out, and I already knew how special the Mets fan base was um, just by being friends with a lot of Mets fans. But being involved with the Mets organization, you really get kind of a, a close look um, at how amazing this fan base is. It's the best fan base in baseball. There, there's no question about it. And I'm saying that I, I grew up an Astros fan. I really do believe the Mets have the best fan base in baseball. It's just such a passionate fan base, uh, um, such a committed fan base. And and they really keep up with they really really keep up with with all the prospects and the minor league teams and they don't care about just how the major league team is doing they want to see how the minor league teams are doing as well and so to get the support from from Mets fans in and outside of Central New York has been really cool to see yeah yeah you um obviously this is that's brand new for you you were not a Mets fan coming into this year you uh were just really a Houston sports guy will is from Houston uh, the Sugarland area so the Skeeters were like your hometown kind of local team. Uh, if I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. That's correct. That's correct. Grew up 10 minutes from the stadium. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but you, you knew me really well and, and being in Syracuse, there's a lot of guys from the tri-state area who go there who are Mets fans. So you were around Mets fandom a lot. Uh, and, but now you get to see it like close up. You get to see it, you know, for better or worse, the pretty parts of Mets fandom and the ugly parts of Mets fandom being more involved in Mets Twitter now. Um, so, like, we, you know, we appreciate you yeah. telling one of the best fans in sports. But, man, we have – I'm sure you may have taken notice. We have our – we have our, our ugly moments, too. Well, you want to win. And when you don't win, <laughs> it's upsetting. And, you know, unfortunately, New York's been on this skid and they've gone from a couple games – um with the division lead uh, you know and and now you're well you know i should say they they had a four and a half game division lead and now well, i think what they're seven and a half back um you know with, the, with about a month to go into the season so yeah when the team's not winning the fans aren't going to be happy but you know it just shows you how much the fan base uh, you know wants to win and expects to win absolutely and then um, um, yeah i was just going to add one more point is that you haven't seen a whole lot of winning yourself this year the <laughs> The Syracuse Mets have been uh, the worst team in their their division in uh, in the AAA Eastern League this year, uh, and and part of that is a result of the roster being gutted by the major league team because of um, so much roster turnover with injuries and so on. Uh, what's what's that been like? Just the constant kind of turnover of, of names and players. The Mets have had more than uh, fifty guys that they've used on their major league roster this year. Uh, and that very much affects the minor league organization. Um, how do you keep up? Yeah, you know, you mentioned, you know, that, that you know, we're currently in last place. Um, we went on a 15-game losing streak in June. And a reason for that losing streak, and I'm sure you two both remember when, gosh, so many guys on New York were getting hurt, and a lot of our guys had to go up. And as a result, we were not really playing with the AAA roster, and, you know, we were losing a lot of games. And luckily at the time, New York was staying afloat. Um, you know, they were playing pretty decent ball with a lot of our guys. And uh, ever since we broke that 15-game losing streak, we've actually been over 500. So we, we've been playing pretty well as of late. And we dropped four of six this week against Rochester. But coming in, we had won eight of our last 10. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, guys going up, coming down. You know, now you have, you know, taxi squads in Major League Baseball, I think, 
Last week, Syracuse had six guys with New York, you know, Chance Cisco getting called up, Patrick Mazika, Trevor Williams, a couple other guys. So, I mean, it's tough to keep up, but at the same time, you're also going to get guys, um, you know, from double A uh, to get a shot to contribute. I mean, the only reason, I should say the main reason that David Rodriguez was here the past two weeks is because Cisco and Mazika went up and David Rodriguez has been killing it for us. Um, he's a great defensive catcher. He's hitting, I think, over 300 now at the AAA level. Um, so, you know, he's gotten a shot. And he's really delivered. Wagner LaGrange has looked pretty solid. You know, you got a couple pitchers coming up from Binghamton in recent weeks. They've done unbelievable. Tom Hackamer, I know he's a friend of the pod. Uh, he's been literally unhittable for us. Adam Aller has been outstanding. So, yeah, I mean, you know, sure, we're going to have guys going up, coming down. Um, you're also going to see some guys from Binghamton come in here and contribute. So it's been a lot of fun to keep up with. And, uh, you know, I think Mets fans should be very excited uh, for the future. Who among the, uh, the regular guys that have been down there? Cause, and I know there probably haven't been many, right. Cause of all the overturn, but is there anybody that you've gotten, you would consider to be an extensive look at who's, who's impressed you a lot? Cause I know for us, um, we don't really get that kind of look cause we spend so much time watching the major league games and then you know maybe we find out that someone's been called up and half the fan base doesn't know who they are a quarter of the fan base barely knows who they are and maybe like five percent of the fan base has seen the player play before is there anyone like that right now who on your radar is just um has really kind of come about and 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 shown you who they are somebody that new york fans might not be as familiar with is probably wilfredo tovar um, he had a really slow start to his season here. I think in his first, yeah, his first 26 games, he just hit 185. And since then, he's hitting 320. Um, and when Tovar turned his season around, that's when the team started to turn their season around. He's a leader on the team. He's beloved in the clubhouse. I think he's gotten his batting average. He's gotten his batting average all the way up to 273. He's just a very consistent contact hitter, hits the ball the other way pretty well. So he's really maybe kind of the, the one guy that, that's really hitting well for us that maybe New York fans aren't as familiar with. They are familiar with Khalil Lee. He's obviously one of the top prospects. He's really impressed me. I think he's a guy that can be an everyday outfielder at the next level. And then a pitcher that, that's really stood out to me in recent weeks um, is Franklin Killame. He has pitched really, really well since coming off the injured list last month. You know, somebody that New York fans saw a little bit of last season struggled but at the same time it was a limited sample size so i mean i think that you know he's he's a veteran arm that you know might be able to help out new york at some point um but there's been a lot of young talent we've seen as well i mean adam Aller and, and josh walker have been great since coming up from binghamton in recent weeks yeah so <laughs> it's funny that you say that like tovar is a guy that mets fans might not be familiar with because he's got he's got two major league stints under his belt with the mets uh, yeah, but like when you think about, you know, players in, in the minor leagues, you know, that, that might be able to help out New York in the long term, you think of maybe a Khalil Lee or a Jake Mangum, you sure. might not think of a Wilfredo Tovar, but I think Wilfredo Tovar is very much capable of putting together a Brandon Jury type of run, um, you know, getting called up and getting hits off the bench um, when he needs to starting and, and, and you know, contributing as a starter. 
Sure, uh, sure. But, you know, maybe he, I just, you know, said that because he's probably not some guy that, you know, New York fans are thinking of right now, but he's been outstanding for us. Yeah, he was in that contingent of guys who kind of came up in, the, in May or June and, and helped out the Major League roster. Um, when everyone was hurt, along with like Khalil Lee was one of those guys too. And right. uh, that's kind of soured. I, I mean, a lot of Mets fans, I think based on the, uh, whatever was 13 at bat sample size, they got a Khalil Lee um, and he struck out what nine, 10, nine, nine, 10 times. He, he, he was like 13 hit. strikeouts in 19 at bats or something. Yeah, it's it like, was, I mean, he was very clearly overmatched. He was which extremely is his fault. It was a tough spot. Yeah, and that, right. that's that's soured, I think, Matt, how Mets fans view him. Because when they traded for Kawhi, it was like, oh, we just traded for this prospect. He's really, really toolsy. Like he, this might be a, a guy. Uh, and then he he comes up and after going TikTok viral, uh, <laughs> and he is completely overmatched. And now Mets fans are a little well, pissed on. But I, I mean, in my experience, I I, right. I track pretty well. Um, he's been playing really, really well. He gets on base a ton. He's second in the entire AAA East and on base percentage. You know, keep in mind, there was no minor league season last year, and that, that really hurt a guy like Khalil Lee. And then he gets a couple weeks in AAA under his belt, and then because of all the injuries, had to go up to New York. And like you said, he struggled, uh, but he's been far more patient at the plate here in Syracuse. I mean, he's second in the league in on base percentage, 444 on base percentage. Um, he's really improved throughout the year, and – Hey, he's got a lot of potential, no question about that. Yeah, and he's hit for some power recently too, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a part of his game that I know the Mets were really trying hard to develop because he, he he hits the crap out of the baseball. But an issue with him is that he just hit the ball on the ground too much. So if he can, he can get some balls airborne, he's going to hit some right. balls. And then you mentioned Franklin Killame, who is it safe to assume that he's just a reliever now? I, I would say so. Um, he, he feels very comfortable in that role. He came in today and looked sharp. Um, you know, he, at the, at the year in the, at the beginning of the season, he was a starter and now he's since coming off the injured list, his, has transitioned into this reliever role. And in a lot of those appearances, he he's pitched two innings in relief, much like Akeem Bostic, you know, he's, he just has looked better in this kind of long reliever role. I don't know if I'd call Killamay a long reliever, but he's certainly a guy that can come in sixth, seventh inning and get some big outs. He's looked really, really impressive. He feels confident. I've got a chance to talk to him a couple times. He, he's a guy that, you know, you, you can tell he, he was not happy with how it went last season in New York and, and wants another shot. Yeah, and then uh, Walker and Aller are two guys you mentioned. Josh Walker, Adam Aller. I don't know what to think of them. As, as a prospect guy myself, I have no idea what to think of them because they're not necessarily highly regarded as prospects, but they have been doing something that is extremely impressive, and that is they haven't been given anything up uh, in the run column. They, they're not given hits up. They're, they've been extremely effective both in double A AA and triple A Walker had a stretch where he just was refusing to give up hits where he'd give up like two or three hits in a seven inning start. If that he had a no hit bid that went into the eighth inning at one point this season, I believe like uh, him and Aller are, are raising some eyebrows. I want to know your opinion on these guys uh, are, are Josh Walker and Adam Aller guys. Are they guys that we should keep an eye out on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you look at a guy like Josh and, 
in his first triple a start he really struggled back on july 23rd gave up eight runs and four and a third and you were thinking okay is this guy ready for this league is he ready to be a triple a pitcher and then what does he do in his next appearance he takes a no hitter into the eighth inning uh so he bounced back in, in a tremendous way and then in his very next start he pitches seven scoreless innings but then in his next start he gives up seven runs and three and two thirds and then since then um, 12 innings four runs in his last two starts so um, you, I mean, two rough starts, but other than that, I mean, he's been very, very sharp. And in those two starts, you know, he didn't really get a whole lot of his, a whole lot of help from his defense. Um, but you no, know, Walker is Walker is a guy that you know his fastball is really good. He feels confident on the mound. Um, he just has this swagger about him. He just goes out there and just gets outs, and he just looks very determined every time he pitches. And then Aller, meanwhile, probably has had the best stretch out of anyone I've seen this season. His last two starts in Binghamton and his first two starts here, he put together 25 consecutive scoreless innings. It's unlike anything I've seen all year. Um, and then even in his last start, he gave up a run, but just one run, five and five and a third innings pitch, just one run allowed. So yeah, he's been he's been outstanding. Um, you know, 26 years old, Houston guy. Um, Pitch pretty decent for Binghamton and is pitching um, actually a whole lot better for, for us. So, yeah, his first three starts, 053 ERA, 2-0 record. Um, his debut a few weeks back, he had 13 strikeouts in six innings. So, big strikeout guy, has strikeout potential. So, these are guys that are much – they're guys that are much more in the kind of Tyler McGill mold of, of not necessarily having the prospect pedigree. But yeah, look how McGill's been. Yeah, yeah McGill, McGill only had two starts with us and, you know, like, you know, very similar to Khalil Lee because of all the injuries. He had to get called up much earlier than expected <laughs> and look what McGill's doing. So you never know. I mean, it's funny, you know, a lot of guys will pitch better at the triple A level than the, um, than they did at the double A level. And we're certainly seeing that from Oliver. Right. Yeah. I would think also there's a lot happening like at the double A level right now, because you do mention Oliver and you mentioned Walker, but they also right now have, two other guys, Cole Gordon and Jose Budo, who have both just like been equally lights out in their situations. I, I do kind of wonder like if that's something, and this is more like a, a, a personnel question that I'll save for the player personnel and the coaching staff and whatnot, because they're clearly teaching them something that um, has been hitting on multiple cylinders. And that's exciting. But I think one thing that's also exciting while we have you here um, is the fact that um, in some respects, not a lot of respects, uh, but in some within the sport, uh, access is changing uh, back to the way it used to for people who are in the media. And I understand that for you, uh, Will, that's meant you get to now speak to other players and you get that clubhouse access, or at least you've had the opportunity now to, uh, to kind of get to know some of these players a little bit better. Can you speak a little bit to that experience, what that was like? just like the first time you got to do that and uh, how that's, how that's, I guess, not how it's changed, but more so like what that, what a day in the life now is for you speaking to some of these guys. Cause there are a couple, I know that um, you've had the opportunity to like, to, to get to know a little bit more about. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Kind of my daily routine has changed a lot because of the access you mentioned. I'm not in the bubble with the team. I'm fully vaccinated. 
Um, but I don't travel with the team and therefore I'm not in the bubble. Um, my broadcast partner, Michael Tricarico is in the bubble. He does travel with the team. So he's allowed access into the clubhouse and that's how it's been since uh, opening day. Um, and even though I don't have clubhouse access, I can still, you know, watch BP and be outside talking with players, big difference between inside and outside when you're, when you're dealing with this. Um, so yeah, you know, I've gotten a, a chance to talk to a few guys. That's something that we kind of started to start doing last week, interviewing players on the pregame show. I've gotten to talk with um, David Thompson, Tom Hackamer, Luis Giorme a few days back. That's been great. I mean, it certainly helps out as a broadcaster getting to talk to the guys and get to know them a little bit. I mean, off air, Hackamer and I had a, a 15 minute conversation about golf courses we like around here. So, you know, just think like exactly. Hack is, a, Hack is a great guy. So just getting to know the players, you know, um, you know, a personal level certainly helps um, me as a broadcaster, um, you know, just be um you know better storyteller and whatnot on air and you, you learn things about guys that you 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 probably wouldn't know you know talking with david thompson come to find out he was a big time quarterback prospect down in florida and was committed to to miami to play both football and baseball so yeah those are those are things you find out by getting to talk with the guys and um yeah it's been it's been great the last couple of weeks getting to do that yeah it really is a uh, a game changer like just my experience this summer obviously small potatoes in comparison to you know affiliated triple a minor league baseball but just the conversation with a guy next to the bubble uh the turtle i guess they call it uh the, in, in batting practice is enough that like you can find something for a full half inning conversation wise just from one conversation with a guy when he you know comes up to the plate or whatever it's it's a game changer you know it's it's thrilling that you get that access now uh, after not really having that access for the first couple of months on the job. I do want to ask about one more thing before we, we start to kind of wrap sure. up. Uh, there was a, a play that you called earlier <laughs> this year uh, in which um, it was the Almora catch. I believe you wound up on sports center. Your call wound up on sports center top 10. That's gotta be like a dream come true. First of all, as a broadcaster, like, you must have been ecstatic. It, it was exciting. Um, you know, I had a couple of people text me, you know, I you know, heard you on SportsCenter. It, actually, it, it wasn't my first time, though, getting a call on SportsCenter. I was a junior in high school. I, I started a broadcast program in high school and was a broadcaster in my high school for four years. And we had a, a poster dunk end up on, on SportsCenter. And people still talked about it in my high school, but we had a guy named Amenophis Mitchell, and you've probably seen the clip, Sam, but he dunked on a guy named Matthew Slimp, S-L-E-N-P. And I said, he just put Slimp on a poster, and everyone that listened thought I said Slip on a poster, like S-L-I-P. And everyone's coming up, he's like, you know, what the heck does Slip on a poster mean? Um, and so that just became a running joke in my high school. It's, it's still known as Slip on a poster. Um, and then, you know, five years go by and here I am, you know, calling triple a games. And that was actually one of the first games I was on play-by-play -play for that Almora catch. And uh, I mean, it's probably the best catch I've witnessed live. I mean, full extension falling back. I mean, you know, that, that just, that's just Albert Almora for you. Uh, but, you know, wake up the next morning, see it on the top 10. And then, um, and then I actually called a, a Josh Palacios catch, um, 
last week he plays for Buffalo and that ended up on sports center as well. And uh, my call actually made the noon sports center open. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, for a young broadcaster like me, it's just a thrill, um, you know, to have that happen and, you know, calling games at this level, you know, you're definitely going to definitely going to see a decent amount of, of our guys on sports center making plays. So it, it's, it's been exciting thus far. It's awesome stuff, man. It's, 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 it's absolutely awesome stuff. You know, I'm so proud of you. Oh. I would well, imagine uh, that my guy, Sam Lebowitz right there, man. Yeah. I was just going to say, I'd imagine because I realized we didn't have this written up. I was going to ask like what your, I guess, favorite moment so far has been in the Syracuse booth. I would imagine having your call on sports center and just the aftermath of that, the phone calls you get, the, the kudos you receive for that probably would be your favorite, but I, I guess just for housekeeping's sake, I will ask, is that actually your favorite moment or is there another one? It's been, there's been a lot of fun moments. Obviously that, that ranks pretty high up. Um, I'll say this last night, this, this was my first Syracuse salt potatoes experience. It was unlike anything I've been a part of in broadcasting. I mean, just seeing the, the energy from the community about the salt potatoes, how much that, that, that means to the city, the Syracuse salt potatoes. It was really fun to see. And I mean, you know, them bringing out the eight foot golden fork pregame and, and, and Syracuse winning the game that, you know, force <laughs> what ultimately was, um, was not a decided game three um, today as they just call the game. But that was really fun last night, being a part of that broadcast and, and seeing the, the fans get really excited. But obviously, Almora probably ranks as my favorite call thus far. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I imagine, yeah. Well, Will Scott, voice of the Syracuse Mets, this is not – I'm not being biased when I say – the work that you and Michael Tricarico, your, your 1A guy to the 1B that you are, uh, one of the best booths in minor league baseball, and uh, as one of the best friends that I have and one of the best people that I know, you're doing great stuff. I'm super proud of you. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time to officially become a, uh, a friend of the podcast. Um, but before we let you go, before we let you go, and before we wrap up the podcast uh, for the day, one thing that we like to do on the podcast every single time that we have a guest on is we like to ask them uh, to remember a guy. So uh, is there any player, no, putting you on the spot a little bit here, but you've listened to some of our episodes before, so you had to know it was coming. Uh, it doesn't have to be a Met. It could be an Astro if that's more comfortable for you or just any player um, that you feel like remembering today. But, you know, before we close out PGE today, uh, who are we remembering today, Will Scott? So actually, um, my favorite player growing up is probably not someone that, that you would think I'm about to say, Luke Scott. Oh, that's a good <laughs> He walked up. Wait, you know, I'll let, yeah, yeah. Give us the Luke Scott info. I'm not going to do Scott, that. You know, obviously he played for the Astros for several seasons. Um, you know, I grew up watching him play. I remember one of my favorite baseball memories as a kid was watching him hit for the cycle, which – you know, the cycle has become far more rare than a no hitter. Um, you know, you, you very rarely see a guy hit for the cycle. So I think that was the first Astros cycle in, in many, many years when he did it back in 07, I think was the year. Uh, but yeah, he was one of my favorite, favorite Astros growing up. Um, and he's, he's, you know, guys, it's kind of easy to forget about, but a guy that I haven't forgotten about is an Astros fan. 
And that's the point of remembering, guys. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, let's is, God, uh, man. Yeah. Uh, I actually got a chance to I got a chance to meet him. Um I was um I think I was in elementary school. I got a chance to meet him and um I got a birthday present even before Luke Scott played for the Astros. It was a Scott Astros jersey, but it was like my name on the on the back of the jersey. My parents had given it to me for my birthday or something. Right. And Adam Everett comes up to me um, and he's like, you're wearing a Luke Scott jersey? Like no one wears a Luke Scott jersey. And I, I just went with it. Um, but yeah, Adam Everett, uh, if you, that's another guy that, that we should remember on the podcast today. Another Astros guy, but uh, Adam Everett gave me a, a hard time about that. And so I'll always remember that moment for sure. That's fascinating. Yeah. You think that, you know, with one of the best pitchers in the Astros franchise history, having the last name Scott, you think Astros <laughs> jerseys with the name Scott on the back of it, Mike Scott, obviously the, the splitter dude who, who chewed up the Mets in 1986. Uh, you would, you would think that the, the jerseys Astros jerseys with the last name Scott on the back weren't all that common. That's fascinating. Luke Scott had like, Silly power, if I'm remembering. Yeah, correctly. yeah. He like, went to the yeah, he, uh, was, he went he to the Rays. Underrated. He was a very underrated player. I mean, he was he was very very good. Um, I think he went to Tampa Bay and and was pretty good with them as well. After he was done with the Strohs in Baltimore, I'm reading his page. He got traded for Miguel Tejada when the Astros got him, and then uh went to Baltimore. And he basically was like a the DH guy for a while. He, um, he kind of went to the Jack Cust school of how to do baseball. Yeah, a little bit, probably. Left hand I mean, power slugger doesn't really do the whole fielding thing. Yeah, um, my memory of Luke Scott is of just as a Met fan was watching him. I'm pretty sure that catch that Carlos Beltran made, like where he scaled that hill, Tal's Hill, like to rob an extra base. I miss Tal's Hill. I miss that it. was Luke Scott who hit that ball. I know. I know Tal's Hill. Um, you know, very much a polarizing thing in baseball, but I liked it. I, I, uh, and you know, the Astros have done a great job with Minute Maid Park. The new center field looks great. They added a Shake Shack and a Torchy's Tacos. So hard to complain about that, but I missed Tallis Hill. It was unique. Yeah, that was, I think if they had just gotten rid of the pole, it would have been enough. Like I think the Hill could have stayed personally, but it's also like, I don't really have a horse in that race. So it's, there's no one that got hurt on the Hill. And everyone, right. the, the argument for taking it away was that injuries were happening. I was like, no, no one's gotten hurt on, on Tal's Hill. If you were seeing injuries happen, guys, you know, getting hurt, then I would have been in full support of, of taking it out. But in the 10 plus years they had it, there was, there was no, there was no injury. Um, so anyway, I, I miss it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, Sam, who's your guy? Um, let's do a guy who played for both the Mets and the Astros and a guy who played for both those teams in the same year. Let's remember Norichika Aoki. Why don't we? Nori Aoki. That's yeah. Who you get a ring with the Astros. He spent 2017 with the Astros. He finished 2017 with the Mets though. He did get the ring. Right. He did get his ring with the Astros. Yeah. The Astros had cut him. The Mets picked him up. He spent about a month and a half, two months with the Mets. And the Mets, my favorite part of the whole Nori Aoki uh, experience when he was a Met was the gif that the Mets would use when he did something positive, which wasn't all that often because he didn't do much for the Mets. But it was a it was a gif of him doing like the OK signal with his hand 
and it said in large like Mets font, A O K, because his last name is Aoki. A O K. Yeah. He had when like he a, said, a, when you said he played for both the Astros and the Mets, I thought you were going with Billy Wagner. I thought for mm. sure Billy Wagner was coming, but like well, everyone remembers Billy Wagner. Wagner though, so I didn't think he would make this this segment. I love Billy Wagner. Put him in the Hall of Fame. He yeah. deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. It's ridiculous he's not in the Hall of Fame right now. I agree. Yeah, you won't. I'm not going to push back on that either. I mean, you would be surprised. We had Justin Toscano on. He's obviously a, a pretty respected beat reporter for um, for the record at NJ. He remembered Trevor Hoffman because he's a Padres fan. And, uh, you know, we give him time to time. We give him a hard time for uh, putting a Hall of Famer on his uh, – mantle is the guy he was going to remember but it is kind of i mean yeah billy wagner was pretty good um especially the astros like that's probably who he would wear the hat with i'd imagine Definitely no, I, I think so. he was actually he was inducted really into the astros hall of fame uh right weeks ago yeah which is good i mean that's good for him um we got i gotta remember my guy mine was less astros mets connection but more minor league like triple a connection Cause it was probably one of the first times in my life as a fan where I was really forced to like, think about what you need to do to another baseball team when you're the major league team and you have to go into the minors to pick up someone and, and replace someone else on the roster. So I'm remembering Adam Wilk, um, <laughs> who is kind of, he's probably, I think for a very specific like group of Met fans, he's probably very well remembered. Um, but for most, they're going to have no idea who I'm talking about, but if just you remember worst. when Matt Harvey got suspended, just the worst spot start, I think, in like history of ever. Well, yeah, it was. He, it was one game bad. with the Mets, five runs, and uh, yikes, three, he three homers. He gave three up, homers in not even four innings, but it wasn't his fault. Um, an ungodly home run to stand in that game. Yeah. Well, he got cut. You know, he the Mets used to play in Las Vegas for AAA, which was probably just the most like dysfunctional setup in modern sports history to have your minor league team a six hour flight away because Matt Harvey basically got suspended um, by the team for like not showing up to a game. It was the night, you know, the night before he was supposed to start. So they suspended him and out of spite, they did that because really they had absolutely nobody else on the major league roster they could call on. So they called Wilk up from AAA and he basically took a red eye flight, got no sleep, had no preparation at all. And, had to wear it. And the Mets DFA'd him after the game, like his, you know, all the work he had basically done within that organization was kind of like, you know, scrapped in a moment because they were, they decided they had to suspend Matt Harvey. And um, I mean, Harvey staying out was a a rampant problem during his time with the Mets, but it was also something that, you know, the wrong guy, I think really got punished for it. And it, I mean, just for me as a fan, it made me think a lot about like, how hard it is if you are a minor league player. And also if you cover the minor leagues and you're somebody who has this um, connection to a team that is constantly being uprooted, it's like, you know, you don't really get to uh, you don't get the same, I think, relationship with players. I mean, you learn a lot from it, obviously. And we've learned that having spoken to you, um, but it's just something that I kind of was thinking about every time I think about guys, they call up from AAA in a pinch. It's, it's always Adam Wilk who I have to remember the, you know, with the heaviest of hearts. And and now he's a guy who's a punching bag for a fan base 
or like yeah, the fans kind of taking that out on him is ridiculous. But we'll have we'll, well we will have talked enough about the fans doing things I to think players. I've seen I saw his name on the timeline like yesterday, like Saturday, I think. Yeah, as a joke. So yeah, all right. Let's let's wrap things up here. Um, I was kind of already doing a little outro thing before we remember some guys, but just once again, Will Scott, really thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, always fun to someone to talk to someone within the organization, whether it's a player or a broadcaster like yourself, uh, who can bring such an interesting perspective uh, and, and pretty much kind of blow the whistle for fans on on what names to to keep an eye out for. And you're also just doing great work down there. And, and again, I'm I'm very proud to to be able to call you a friend. And uh, I'll I'll be seeing you soon because we're both in Syracuse still. No question about that, my friend. I will be seeing you very soon. And I'm looking forward to it. So. For Jack Hendon and our friend Will Scott, I've been Sam Lebowitz, the Mets fans. Have a pleasant good evening.